welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. All right, well, good morning, everyone. And uh, if you have a Bible today, we have uh, several different <clears throat> passages of Scripture that we're going to be looking into today. But if you want to go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 9, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 35 through uh, 38 today. And we'll also be looking at a couple of uh, uh, Scripture passages in the book of Acts. One is going to be Acts 17, so um, just get ready for that. But um, this morning we're excited to talk, uh, continue our discussion and on loving God, loving people, our series there. And uh, we're going to be talking today about being empowered to go, being empowered to go. And when it comes to um, going and being, you know, what I think of is being on mission. Um, you know, I think of a lot of times as a uh, young kid when we would go on family vacations, um, my dad would be usually the one that would drive most of the way. And we would, you know, leave usually early in the morning. And, you know, as young kids, how many of you know you got small bladders, right? And so <laughs> dad is driving and he's on a mission and he is going to get to that destination. And the, his goal was, as you know, to have as minimal stops as possible. So we're not stopping within the first hour. We're not stopping within the first two hours, three hours. We're stopping at a very strategic point in the trip. But how many know that doesn't necessarily go according to plan because one starts complaining, right, that they have to go to the restroom and then the second one and then the third one, you know, and so eventually, you know, my dad would like have to give in and it would just totally throw him off because now I just threw off all of his time and, and all that when we're going to make it to our destination. And, you know, so there are times where, um, you know, we have an idea and a mission that we're going on, but a lot of times they're just things that, that get in the way or, um, you know, we just don't think of certain things that are going to come up, and they do. And, you know, for me, I remember one time I was just, uh, you know, they had, I was in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and I was in college, and, and my, you know, at the time it was, uh, you know, my girlfriend, but now she's my wife. We had, um, you know, I had lived off campus, and uh, we were, um, I had to go grab something inside, and and I had to go grab something inside of my house that I was living in. She lived on campus. So I ran inside, grabbed something real quick. It had snowed um, that day. And so I, I grabbed something and I get back in the car and I reverse out of the driveway. And we're going to head back to the campus. And the campus is literally 60 seconds away. And, and I could not, for some reason, I just felt like I was getting, I got stuck. Like the, I wasn't able to go anymore because it maybe I was like, man, the snow is, is, you know, messing up my tires. I'm not able to, to get to my destination. But, but I, you know, being from the Midwest, you, you've dealt with a lot of different, you know, several inches of snow, feet of snow. And so um, to me, it's like a pride thing, right? So you're determined to get from one point to the other and you're gonna get there and this snow is not gonna stop you. And it's not the most snow I've ever seen. I've seen plenty of times where the snow, at, you know, 12 inches, 16 inches, I've seen all that. Um, and this wasn't, you know, a big snow at all. And so I was so determined and literally 15 minutes go by and I haven't moved and I'm in the middle of a street. 
okay, mind you. And so um, luckily for me, there was no cars coming. And so I'm determined to get to my destination. And I'm just thinking like, why can I move anywhere? Why is my tires just skidding and I'm not able to move? And so for 15 minutes, I'm like getting frustrated and I don't understand. And I look down and how many know it's a good thing that you should have, I should have realized that I had uh, pulled up my e-brake, you know, and I had left it there the entire time and I had forgotten to release it. And so when I finally released it, it was like, easy, you just go, right? And so, um, you know, I sold that car eventually because, you know, I just didn't like it. Um, No, I'm just kidding. But um, so there are times where you may be on mission and there are just certain things that come up. And, you know, we're going to talk about something this morning about being on mission as a Christian. And we're going to look at some passages of Scripture today about the Holy Spirit's power making us effective witnesses for Christ. And we're going to talk about this in in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start with um, really what Jesus kind of exemplified for us as a believer to live out. And it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. We're going to read about what you and I are called to do, where we are called to go. And the first thing that we're going to be uh, called to go is in the community. That's where we're called to go. And this is what Jesus would say. He said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so this morning, as we look at this, being called to go into the community, you know, I'm a, this points out several things. Jesus had to go through different places, regions um, in Israel. And even though they may be Jewish, have some Jewish background, they would be very familiar with Old Testament law. They would be very familiar with a lot of things that when it comes to God. But how many know, you know, you can go into different parts of the community and there's just a different way of talking to people. There's a different way in dealing with people and doing business with people. And I mean, it's like, you know, people in Bel Air, people in Aberdeen, people in Abingdon, all these different areas that we can go to in Hartford County. And there's just a different way sometimes people communicate. There's a different way at times people do business with one another. And there's just a different standard a lot of times. And so for Jesus, he had to learn how to deal with a culture that was constantly having different ways to view things, having different ways to communicate and also having different ways to do business. And so Jesus had to realize it. And it says he goes through every town and every village. And he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus or of of God about how God's love for humanity. And really, um, what is interesting, it says when he saw the crowds, he's motivated by compassion. And then it says because they were harassed and helpless. Why? Because The godly people, supposedly the godly people, are to be the ones to kind of help these crowds and help meet their needs, not just a physical need, but a spiritual need. But what was happening is that over time, these religious people, these supposedly godly people, were more concerned about what was happening inside of their synagogue that they were neglecting the entire community as a whole. It is such an interesting thing to look at. This is why they're harassed and helpless, because the godly people are more concerned about what happened in a building 
rather than what was going on in their community. There was nobody to care for them. There was nobody to help them. There was nobody there to support them because the godly people thought what was happening inside of a building was more important. And they were neglecting the community. That's why there's there was such a big distance between religious people and poor people because they, the poor people knew the religious people didn't care about them as much. And so they were harassed, harassed and helpless. They were just like, and on top of that, you have Roman oppression. I mean, that isn't gonna get any easier for you. And so they were neglecting the community. Now, I may be pointing to religious leaders here, but this is certainly applies to every single believer that yes, we meet here and it's a great place and it's a wonderful place to encounter God's presence, but we cannot neglect the needs of the community. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not just meeting physical needs. He's meeting spiritual ones. And this is what Jesus is doing. He says he's going in every town, every village, healing every disease. Not just a disease when it comes to physical things, but also the sinful disease that is spreading across that, that region of the world. And so it's such an important thing to recognize that Jesus is talking about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are a lot of people in this area of the world during this time, and this particular Jewish people, who loved God, but they didn't want to go in the harvest field. They loved God. Oh man, you get them in a, in a church service, you get them in a synagogue, man, they're going to eat it all up. All the information, all the knowledge, all the wonderfulness of being involved in something like that. But they wouldn't go out into their community and, and show people that. They were just more concerned about what happened inside but they were neglecting the rest of the community. And Jesus, this is what Jesus was saying. There's a lot of people who, who love God, who love the things of God, but then they, when it comes to going in the community, uh, they, they say, no, I'm good. What happens in here is kind of what, that's my, that's my comfort zone. That's what I like better, but then I'm not gonna do anything out there. And this is a thing that Jesus is praying for. He said, pray for people to not be so concerned what happens inside of one building, but helping them to be so concerned about the harvest, help them be so concerned about those who are on the outside. And in order for us to know what's happening on the outside in our culture, in our community, we have to begin to learn things about what are they looking for? What are they interested in? And what really comes down to is a very good way to kind of dissect this passage. We're not going to dissect everything about it, but if you will turn with me to Acts 17. Acts 17 is a very important passage in relation to how do we evangelize our community, our nation, because, I mean, studies are showing that we are literally living in a society that is the most biblically illiterate that we have ever seen. People don't know about the Bible. They know Jesus maybe is a good person, but to talk to them about the books of the Bible, they don't even, when you say a book of the Bible, they don't even know that's a book of the Bible. I mean, to talk about Old Testament and New Testament, they don't even know there is an Old Testament and New Testament. They don't, and, and over and over and over again, we are starting to see a society that doesn't know a whole lot of information about the Bible anymore when it comes down to it. And Acts 17 shows us through a man named Paul. Paul is somebody who was a persecutor of Christians who turns into a messenger of, for, Christian, for Christianity, for Jesus, and we see him going to a place in Athens where he's gonna be able to communicate with people without using a whole lot of scripture. He's just gonna kind of paraphrase the story for them and summarize it. 
He's not going to be pointing out. And he's going to use language they understand. This is what it talks about. I'm going to read this, but I think it's important to kind of read the rest of this if you want to on your own to kind of see what's really going on. But really what it's talking about is Paul is getting in front of people, and this is what it says in verse 22. Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I've even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of the land. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. If you would read the rest of that, you would see that there were some people, when they hear that term, raising the dead, they kind of like sneered at him. They kind of like looked at him like, what is this whole talk about? And some immediately came on board with what Paul just said there. They immediately come on board. They immediately believe. Some or sneering at him. They think it's foolish talk, what he's saying. And then some are even interested in hearing more. They're interested. It piques their interest. But what, what was the motivating force behind what Paul did? Well, if you read verse 16 of chapter 17 here, it says Paul was distressed at what he was seeing. And this is what it comes down to when it comes to reaching people, empowering and being empowered to go, is that you have to be distressed at what you see. You have to be Are you distressed that there's family members who don't know Christ? Does it upset you? Does it upset you that you have friends and coworkers who don't know Christ? Is it distressing to you that it breaks your heart? Is it distressing that there's a community out there who doesn't know Christ, who maybe doesn't want anything to do with Christ? Does it distress you? And even more so then, does it motivate you into action? Because all we can do a lot of times is what people do is they just distress about the whole thing, but they don't put anything into it. You see, your effort determines a lot. Your effort. Read the Bible. When, when Peter was asked you know, to walk on water, how many know Peter had to get out of the boat? He had to get out of the boat. Peter could say, oh, Jesus, I believe you can walk on water because I see you walking on water. And, you know, I believe I can walk on water. Jesus, like, Come. If you think, why don't you get out? Now, I'm not saying effort is the only thing, but how many you know a lack of effort, no effort, means nothing will happen? If we all we just say, we just look at it and say, wow, that's just terrible. No, why don't, what are we doing? What are you doing? It's distressing to the point where Paul is willing to go to their turf. He's in front of their council. It's a, another word to be used is Mars Hill here. This is where Mars Hill is. He is literally willing to go into a place on their turf, not in a synagogue, and he's talking to them in terms they will understand because he realizes 
He cannot speak the same way that he would do in a synagogue. He cannot speak that same language. He cannot quote scripture and say, read the prophet Isaiah. They don't know the prophet Isaiah. Why would he even want to talk about the prophet Isaiah? He had to communicate in a way that made sense to them. Everybody with me? He had to make a way and and also approach on their turf and spoke in terms by which they understand. So when it comes to all this, this unknown God, this this is what the unknown God was about. The unknown God was about um, what they would basically say. There were gods they would worship. There were gods that they would want to please. But they realized as, as people that they knew that there's a possibility of other gods out there and they didn't want to upset the gods that they were ignorant of. And so they would make this altar to say, uh, in other words, I want to please gods, even the ones I don't even know about so that I don't have any kind of vent or wrathful um, thing that comes from another God. So I'll just make this altar of an unknown God just in case I offend a God that I don't even know about. That was the purpose of this unknown God. And Paul talks about it a little differently with them. And this is what is interesting even about our own culture. The reason why I say that is because you're going to recognize something. There is a, there is similarities between this culture that I'm talking about and the culture that we're dealing with today. And, you know, I've been reading you know, several different studies. One particular book's called Meet Generation Z, which is basically the majority of 18 and under. And, and this is what uh, several studies have been talked about. In general society or general social survey and Pew research done in 2015, they have identified a group called nuns. I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. I'm talking about nuns, N-O-N-E-S. This is how they identify a certain group of people. In fact, it's on the rise it's huge today. These people identify themselves with anything, don't identify themselves with anything. They basically say, I am nothing. I'm not Catholic. I'm not Pentecostal. I'm not Christian. I'm not Methodist. I am literally nothing. In a sense of where they're saying, I don't believe fully maybe in Christianity. I don't fully believe maybe in this belief. I don't, I'm not fully on board with this or that. And so they're picking and choosing what works for them and what appeals to them. And so really, they're saying, I, on paper, will not write down exactly what I am. I won't write down Christian. I won't write down Pentecostal. I won't write down Catholic. I'll just write, I am nothing. And this is what is even more interesting. They're considered to be religious at times, a lot of them. Some of them are very uh, little in religion, but they'll still believe in some of it. They believe in God. They'll believe in some kind of a God, some kind of thing. It's literally what they're doing is they have made an altar to an unknown God because they have become so concerned about offending anyone and everyone that they are literally, I mean, we see it in today's society, don't we not? Do we not? We see a lot of people, they're afraid to offend, right? We're afraid to offend somebody. And so a lot of times what they'll do is just they'll sit back and say, well, I, at the end of the day, I'm just nothing. And do you realize today, they have identified that that's 20, almost 25% of all Americans now. 25%. That's one out of every four. These people are in churches. These people are in your businesses. These people may be in your home. These people may be in your neighborhood. They are everywhere, and they're on the rise. And if you go into the millennials, it increases even more, a third. If you go into Generation Z, majority are 18 and under, it increases almost to 40%. You are getting close to 50% where they're literally saying, I am nothing. I don't necessarily 
want to say that I'm a Christian. I'm not fully on board with that. But there's some things I like about it. And so over and over again, we're seeing something changing. Something is changing in our culture, and it's changing very quickly. And then this is even more staggering. So how do you reach a culture like this? How do you do all that? And what's even more crazy and challenging at the same time is that the National Center for Biotechnology Information and the year 2000, the attention, average attention span was 12 seconds. Do you know what the average attention span was in 2015? Eight. What does that mean? You have eight seconds for somebody to even care about what you're talking about with them. Eight seconds. I'm talking about not just spiritual things, any conversation, anything. They may talk to you, but they're not fully engaged with what you're talking to them about. They may listen for a little bit. You have eight seconds for them to be fully engaged with that conversation. Otherwise, yeah, they'll go along with the conversation, but they're not full, fully engaged in it. It's very interesting. You have eight seconds for them to even care when it comes to God, if you want to talk to them about that. You have eight seconds. So how does this all work out? How does this work? What is, what is attracting people like this? What attracts them? Well, they're more interested not in events and productions. They're more interested in community and engagement. In other words, how does this translate into, how does this translate into in Christian culture? How does this translate? It's very interesting. That they know how Christians are inside of their own building. They know how they are. But they want to know what Christians are like outside of their building. When they're not on their own turf. What are they like when they're in the park? What are they like when they're at their job? What are they like when they're in their home? That's what matters to them now. It's no no longer about, for them, it's no longer about coming into a building. No, they want to see what Christians are like outside of the building. They want to know what's like on on their their terms, their turf. I mean, at the end of the day, this is what what I love about Party in the Park. This is why we have seen such an increase in participation is because they're starting to see that church is putting on something and they're engaging with us. They're coming to us. We, they're not asking for us to come to them, but we're going to them. And they starting to, and it's immediately attracting attention because you gotta understand, you have eight seconds. I mean, look about it. I mean, think about it. You're on social media. We have eight seconds for them to even care about that information about Party in the Park. You have eight seconds. And look how quickly it gathered so many people's attention outside of grace. Outside of there, it's because, boom, something that's not at a church building necessarily, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have church buildings. Listen, I understand that. I get it. There's a benefit to this. But before they come in here, they want you to meet them out there. They want to know about you out there. They want to know a little bit how, how does it translate into their life outside of this building. And I think it's such a, a wonderful thing for us and a great way of doing it is by going into the community. But this is also something very important when it comes to how do we, even though we may do something like this, how do we become effective people? How do you become effective? I mean, Acts 1.8 talks about this. It talks about this. And it talks about going in the Spirit's power. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is talking literally about every single culture on the face of the world. You are going to be effective in every single culture that society will throw at you. I mean, that's a lot 
right? That's a lot of generations. That's a lot of different kinds of people. That's a lot of different kinds of culture. And Jesus says, you will have the effectiveness through the Holy Spirit's power. This is what is so amazing because the purpose of it, the purpose of, you know, what we see, I mean, if you want to take an example, biblical example, look at Peter. He denies Christ three times to a small group of people. He can't even talk and, and identify himself with Jesus when he's outside of his own turf, right? When he was with Jesus, he was all game. He was like, yeah, I'm with Jesus. But as soon as Jesus got taken away from him, as soon as his friends, his buddies, Peter, James, and I mean, James and John and all these people, as soon as that was eliminated, what happened to Peter? He denied Christ three times. I don't even know the man you're speaking of. But then what's even more interesting is in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes and, and they began to, you know, what are, they, what are they really seeking after? Are they seeking after a gift or are they seeking after the fact that they just want to see God's will accomplished? They wanted to see God's will accomplished. What's God's will? Every person to come to know Jesus. That's God's will. He wants everyone to come. He, it says in the word that he doesn't want anyone to perish. So what is their burden? People who need Jesus. That is their burden. That is what they're longing for. And it says the Holy Spirit comes and they begin to speak in a language that they did not fully understand. And what happens next? Peter has to explain the situation. He was not qualified based on previous experience, correct? He, didn't even, he couldn't even communicate to a few individuals, yet alone to a crowd of thousands of people. Because, But when he stands up and speaks, what changed? His effectiveness changed. His effectiveness. It wasn't Peter's gift. It wasn't Peter, what Peter was comfortable with. We've already seen what he was comfortable with, and it was not doing that. And all of a sudden, his effectiveness changed. A weakness became a strength. He spoke, and thousands of people come to know Christ in that moment. Now, there were more people there than that, but that many people in one moment coming to know Jesus, what changed? His effectiveness changed. That's what changed. This is what's so beautiful about this whole idea of this, the Holy Spirit baptizing people. It's, it's not just a gift. It's an effectiveness in what you are doing. It's an effectiveness. But this is what happens a lot of times. We're led by comfort as Christians. Well, if you get me in my comfort zone, I'll do it. Something that I'm okay with, something that doesn't require, you know, I, I have knowledge on and I'm doing good in, so I'm going to be led by my comfort but don't put me in an uncomfortable situation where I'm having to talk to somebody who doesn't know anything about church or don't put me in an uncomfortable situation when somebody may be a Muslim, how do I talk to them? And, and you won't do it because it makes you uncomfortable. But then there are times where we're led by our giftings. Well, I'm good in this particular area, so I'll do that. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm saying use your giftings, use them for the glory of God, absolutely. If you have a gifting in speaking, use that gift. If you have a gifting in music, use that gift. If you have a gifting in, in welcoming people and hospitality, use that gift. But don't just be led by that because Jesus said to be led by the Spirit, not to be led by comfort, not to be led by giftings. Everybody just got real quiet. Okay. Jesus said to be led by the Spirit, not by giftings, not by comfort. Those things are great, but that's not what the driving force is and the effectiveness. It's when you're led by the Spirit. It's taking you out of your comfort zone. It's taking you outside of the times where you, you're not gifted in certain things. It's taking a weakness of yours 
and God using it to be a strength to reach people. And those gifts, those things that you're good at, it can even be increased at a greater capacity. You know, there are people, even in churches, who do great things, who are led by their giftings, who are led by the cover, and they're doing great. They're doing wonderful. They're reaching people. But could you imagine if they were led by the Spirit, how increasingly effective they would be if they were led by the Spirit? I mean, it would be off the charts. At the same time, there are things that we're weak at where God's saying, man, he even told this to Apostle Paul here. He said, my power is made perfect in what? Perfect in weakness. That could apply to anything across the board in your life. His power is made perfect through your weaknesses, things that you're afraid to do, things that you're scared of, the things that give you anxiety, things that you're fearful of. That's the thing God can use. But, you know, and of course, in your own strength, you're like, I'm not doing that. There ain't no way. Listen, I've been there. I've been there many times. I mean, I can tell you this, that um, speaking for me does not come naturally. Speaking does not come natural in front of people. Maybe saying, well, why are you doing this for a living? Because God had to get a hold of my life, and I had to learn what being empowered by the Spirit really meant. And that meant getting on a platform that scares me to death. I was called into ministry. I felt God calling me into ministry when I was in Chicago when I was a freshman in high school. And I immediately said, no way, because I knew what that meant. I mean, you had to speak in front of a lot of people, and I'm not doing that, God. You know me. I am not doing that whatsoever. Peace out on that. I'm going to find something else. And through it, you know, I was, you know, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was in middle school, and I didn't really fully understand anything about it. At first, I thought it was kind of weird and what the whole purpose of that thing was. And then God started working in me. And even freshman year, I was called into ministry and I said, yeah, right, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not speaking in front of people. That, that is not happening. And then God started to slowly work in my life. And then all of a sudden, I realized, you know, this weakness of mine, things you may be saying, what do you think about uh, when you stand down there? This is what I think about. I am terrified. <laughs> I am terrified because it creates a lot of anxiety in me. It creates a lot of, what am I gonna say to these people? There's a lot of people who, who are here who are 10 times smarter than I am. What am I gonna say? What am I gonna give them that they don't already know? And a lot of times I just stand here and I'll just say, God, I already know what I'm like naturally. I already know I can't. So, I need you to help me to speak because by myself, I'm terrified of the idea of getting in front of people. When you say you do it all the time, doesn't it get easier? It gets a little bit easier, but the terror, being terrified and being afraid to speak and communicate in front of people is still there. It's always there because why? It's my natural self. And I didn't really understand what being empowered by the spirit was until God took a weakness and a fear of mine and started shaping me and developing me into something that when I'm up here, I absolutely enjoy it. I absolutely enjoy it. And I don't turn down opportunities just because I'm afraid of it. Now, I'm, I want to because I enjoy it because I know when I get outside of my comfort zone, God does something bigger than I'd ever thought or could imagine. That's what it means. And that's just something, you know, people say, why are you bragging on yourself? No, I'm not bragging on myself because Paul said, boast, if I'm gonna boast, I'm gonna boast in the things of the Lord. And that's what I'm doing. I'm boasting in the th fact that 
this is something that I don't naturally do. I've taken personality tests. I know myself personally. I don't do this naturally. I do this because, you know what, there's something pulling me. Something's telling me to do it. And there were times where I didn't do it. There were times where I was afraid to do it and I neglected it. There were times where I, I, was af- I didn't want to, my priority wasn't lost people. My burden wasn't people. And I wasn't distressed like Paul was in Acts 17. I wasn't distressed. I was like, somebody else will find them. Somebody else will talk to them. Somebody, there's gotta be somebody in their life. And I get so busy with my life that the burden was lost for lost people. And I had to renew my love for Jesus and say, Jesus, renew my love for you because the love that you have is for people. That's what it needed to be. And so how do we receive? Well, Acts 10 is a great place to start. It's the story of Cornelius. He's a centurion. He's a soldier. And what does he do? He humbles himself before God. He calls on the name of the Lord. He calls on God. He calls him Lord. He doesn't use his earthly title as a way to say, I deserve something. But what does he do? He, he's humble and he has an open heart and open mind. He opens up his heart. He opens up his mind to what God maybe wants to do in his life. He, Peter comes. Peter speaks to him. And that whole group of people that were with him get baptized in the spirit. They're saved. They get baptized in the spirit. And God does something miraculous in them. I mean, it's amazing. But it's through the humility, it's through an open heart, and an open mind. He says, God, whatever you want, I just want to be effective because that's what you've called me to do. It's to be effective. And maybe it's time that you say, you know what, God, I don't want to be led by comfort because that limits me. I don't want to be led just by giftings because that still limits you. But I want to be the most effective that I could ever be so that you get all the glory, all the honor, all the credit, and none of it belongs to me. This is what it is all about. So for those who may, not, who may be here who aren't following Jesus, I'm telling you, he's reaching out to you. I mean, this is what he did. He went through every village. He went through, he's going through the world and he's searching for people and he's longing for people to come to know them. It is constantly mentioned in scripture. For those, maybe you just need to renew your love for Jesus. Maybe the idea of people who are around you that don't know Christ and maybe you don't know where they are in their relationship with Christ, maybe you need, just need a renewed love for God because you need to make that a priority in your life and you haven't. It may burden you, but you haven't done any actions. And so it's, it's something you say, you know what? I wanna take a step. And maybe for those, you wanna be effective. You know, it's one thing to try to do something, but to be effective in doing it is another thing. Well, I tell you what, Jesus told us that we, if we would ask, he would come. And he wants to fill, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you. Some maybe even refilled. I mean, the, in Acts 13, it talks about constantly being filled up. You know, I, as a kid, I thought it was just a one-time event. Then I quickly realized I need that all the time. I need his filling up all the time because I want to be the most effective that I could possibly be. And that is what it means when it comes to going and being empowered when you do go. So if you're here this morning and you want to receive that, we're going to have a time where we can do that. And I just want to encourage you to just take a step, to take a step of faith and just say, you know what, God, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. And this is what a lot of people do. Well, I think it doesn't work that way. Well, that's the problem. You're starting with you. Why don't you start to read the word and say, what does God think? Not what does 
somebody else think? What does a pastor think? What does God's word say? I'm just reading straight from the Bible. I'm just reading straight from his word. What does his word say? Not what I think. I've given up on that a long time ago (laughs) because I realize my thoughts are not his thoughts and my ways are not his ways. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you.